Please open your Bibles to Luke 18, 9 through 14. In your pew Bibles, the passage can be found on page 877. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor West is going to preach from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went home to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, I do pray that you would pour out your spirit as your word has been read. And now as you have given me the responsibility to proclaim it, I ask that you would give us uh, spiritual ears and eyes that we might um, see ourselves, that we might see your holiness, and that we might see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray in his name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned my mother's geese. Um, I want to tell you a little bit more about my parents. And I have a method here uh, for why I want to tell you about them. Uh, My parents still live on the property uh, on which they brought me home from the hospital. We lived out in the country. Across from my parents was a very poor couple that lived in a dilapidated uh, one-room shack with um, no running water. I remember being in their home and being able to see um, the outside through the walls. Uh, My dad ran a water line from our home probably about 75 yards, maybe a little bit further, uh, to the edge of our property to give this family water. And if a paved road had not stopped him, my dad would have run it all the way to their house. Uh, We were on a well, so it would have cost us nothing. Um, 
nearly all our neighbors out in the country were very poor. I can remember my dad stopping the car on the way to church to pick up one of our neighbors. Uh, Our neighbor was lying in the ditch asleep. Uh, He had gotten drunk the night before, and wherever he was at was walking back to his home and passed out along the way. I can still remember, uh, frankly, the stink as my dad uh, piled him into the car uh, beside me and my brother in the back seat to take him home. And I remember wondering, are people at church going to be able to smell me (laughs) when we get to church? Uh, My dad was asked to speak at at least two different funerals that I can remember, uh, funeral services for our neighbors. He was not a preacher. He was a mechanic at Delta Airlines, but he had given so much help to our neighbors at different times that the families had asked them to speak. And since our society is trying so hard to drive a wedge between uh, whites and blacks in our society, I'll I'll mention that our neighbors were black. Uh, But it wouldn't have mattered what race they were. They needed help, and my dad and my mom were glad to give them that helping hand. Uh, My parents have the reputation that they have uh, in my hometown of Palmetto, and they have a tremendous reputation. I could tell more stories. Um, But they have that reputation because they've always been generous and good to their neighbors. Uh, And uh, one thing is important to know, however, is they were not good in God's sight until I had grown up and gone to college. My brother, I mean, my parents took my brother and me to church every Sunday. My dad prayed before every meal. It was the same prayer uh, verbatim, but he prayed before every meal. Uh, my mom uh, was uh, a legend, <laughs> frankly, in in uh, as a school teacher and the help that she had given so many of her students. She taught seventh grade. She taught me in seventh grade. <laughs> Uh, She was not my legend that year, (laughs) but she took me down to the office and spanked me two different times. Um, But my parents did not know the Lord. I became a Christian during my freshman year in college, and you've heard that story before. Um, When I began coming back home uh, and talking about my faith, my mom, this was such a new thing to her, even though we went to church each Sunday, Uh, she asked me if I joined a cult. Um, I had not yet become a Presbyterian, but that would be funny to say, no, I just became a Presbyterian. But I had had become a Christian, and I had begun to to, uh, bring books home that I was reading, uh, books by Charles Spurgeon, A.W. Pink, A.W. Tozer, and my mom. She's curious about what has happened to me, so she starts reading my books, She started destroying my books, which upset me uh, tremendously, but she ended up becoming a Christian. Her conversion uh, caused quite a stir in their little small country church. And then about three years later, I got back from my first trip in Africa, and I'm telling my mom one of the sermons that I had preached uh, point by point. And my dad's sitting there, and then he's he stands up all of a sudden. He says, if what you're saying is true, then I'm not a Christian. Then he walked out of the room. 
I didn't know what to do. Do I go and talk to him? You know, my dad, me and my dad watch John Wayne movies all the time. He was John Wayne in that regard. You don't talk to dad about things that are real personal. Well, um, over the coming months, it was very evident that he had become converted. And for the past 30 years, my parents have zealously served Christ. Before that, they were very moral. They believed in God. They were pillars in the community. But now they love Jesus, and they live their lives for his glory. And I tell this extended story to illustrate that it is possible to be outwardly good while being outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus told the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector to burst this myth that salvation is by good works. Everywhere you go, people have this idea that if, you can, if your good works can just outweigh your bad works and tip the scales in your favor, well, then you can go to heaven. That is the common thought in our society. It is the common thought uh, if you peel back the layers of the different religions. That's what it amounts to. God does something, you've got to do the rest. Will you, be, will you do enough? Will you be good enough? Will you be well-intentioned enough? And Jesus told this parable to burst that myth because none are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The biggest obstacle to understanding this parable is the way that we view Pharisees in our day. We see them as hypocrites of the highest order. We see them as Jesus confronted them. So we see them as prideful. We see them as self-centered. We see them as lovers of money. We see them as completely self-righteous. But in Jesus' day, they were considered the most godly, the most moral people in society. They were upstanding citizens. These are the people that you would expect to be faithful attenders in church. In fact, you might even want them in your church because they were going to be there every day that the, the doors were opened. They were going to faithfully tithe. They were going to uh, offer their prayers um, every day. They were going to do, they were going to be, or they were going to be very, very faithful. These are the people um, that you would want your children to grow up playing with. You'd want them to be your next door neighbors because their kids would be raised right. They enjoyed a reputation in their town similar to the reputation that my parents had in Palmetto, Georgia. And if we take this Pharisee that we meet here in uh, Luke 18, if we take him at his word, he was a man with few obvious vices, and he had many commendable virtues. Verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
He did not steal like the extortioners. He treated people fairly, not like uh, a person who is unjust. He was faithful to his wife, did not commit adultery. He fasted twice a week. The Bible, the Old Testament, only prescribed that you needed to fast one time a year on the Day of Atonement. Here's a man fasting twice a week, and he is tithing on every penny he gained. And, of course, he prayed. Here he is at the hour of prayer, lifting up his prayers in God's presence. But as we look at his prayers, you'll find that his prayers were very self-centered. He started by thanking God, but the rest of his prayer was him congratulating himself. In two short sentences, he managed to mention uh, the pronoun I five times. One commentator says the Pharisee's prayer is so laden with self-congratulation that it can hardly get off the ground, let alone wing its way to the listening ear of God. The Pharisee's prayer was so self-centered that as you read it in the original, you find out, as Jesus tells it, he's not praying to God, he's really praying to himself. Jesus made this point very explicitly. Uh, Look at verse 11. He says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. Well, that's not how it reads in the original. The original is a little confusing, and so the English translators decided to help us out by changing it. Um, And... Uh, It does us a disservice. If you have the English Standard Version, you have a footnote down there. Uh, It says, standing, prayed to himself. And that's the the literal uh, Greek um, pros in the accusative. So it's, it's, uh, he's praying. Literally, it reads, the Pharisee standing prayed with himself. So I'm not sure why the translators are so averse to Jesus' pointed use um, or pointed sense of humor. Because that's what Jesus is doing. This is a parable, and Jesus is pointing out this Pharisee is up here praying. He's not praying to God. He's giving himself uh, self-congratulation. He's praying to himself, in effect. Our prayers reveal our true relationship to God. R.M. McShane famously said, We are, uh, uh, I'm sorry, who we are when we are alone with God is who we are and no more. This Pharisee was a worshiper of himself and no more. He did not confess his sins. He did not plea for forgiveness or seek God for power to live a godly life. He simply reveled in his own sense of superiority. Instead of confessing he was a sinner needing mercy, he compared himself to others and regarded them with contempt. So verse 11, the second half of verse 11, he says, I thank you. God, I thank you that I am not like these other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector that he was able to see out of the corner of his eye. Essentially, Jesus is telling the Pharisees who were his audience that they are prideful, they are judgmental, 
They are disdainful of others and enemies to whom they were supposed to love as they love themselves. That's the whole reason Jesus told this parable. Look at verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This is something that we must examine in our own lives. Self-righteousness is very deceptive. As God works in us by his grace, it's easy for us to become self-congratulatory, to begin to despise our neighbors, to look down our noses at them. Again, because we're in such a highly polarized society, That's what's happening daily on social media. And it's easy for us to get caught up in the flow of that way of looking at others, of thinking of others in that regard. And Jesus says it is a symptom of self-righteousness. Jesus, in verse 13, flips the script We'd expect the tax collector to be the hypocrite. You know, the tax collector, he's taking a break from extorting his fellow countrymen. Come to church and pray. He's like the godfather who's getting his niece baptized while his orders to kill his enemies are being carried out. So we'd think of the tax collector as being, uh, we should think of him as being the hypocrite if we're reading it with first century eyes. But again, we've heard this parable for 2,000 years. And so we see this tax collector as a sympathetic figure. But this this tax collector is a model for one who uh, is um, offering prayer to God, even though he is a sinner, even though he is an outcast, even though he is considered a traitor to his fellow countrymen. And Jesus says, this is how you are to pray. If you struggle with self-righteousness, you need to repent and pray like this guy. And so look at his posture, verse 13, the posture of this tax collector. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. The commentators think that he's standing in the outer courts. Most of the worshipers have drawn near, up near the front where the sacrifice is being offered on the altar. And the tax collector is so humbled that he's in the back rows of the church. So uh, you guys up in the balcony in the back rows of the church are in the humble position, in the godly position that uh, Jesus says that we should all be in. Normally we think of the, you know, the godly people up on the front of the church. Uh, but Jesus says that poor tax collector, he was in the back of the church. He had his head down. In ancient Near Eastern culture, in the the culture of Jesus' day, most people prayed with their eyes looking up toward heaven. But this man was so undone, all he could do is look down at the earth. He could not bring himself, such was his shame, to to, uh, look toward God. After um, this, this man... 
he was not a decent fellow, uh, but only in a bad profession. This man, we would guess, had cheated and extorted his fellow countrymen. And what Jesus is commending is his truthful confession of sins and his plea for mercy. There are several applications I could make at this point, and I'll start with the most basic. You cannot be a Christian unless you embrace the Bible's testimony about every child of Adam. We are all sinners. We are utterly unworthy of God's mercy and his grace. And Jesus commends this tax collector's prayer because the tax collector knew that there was nothing commendable about his life. I would guess that this tax collector knew that there was nothing commendable about his prayer. All he could pray at the back of the church with his head bound was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the translators have done us another disservice here. In verse 13, when he cries out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, literally it reads, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The definite article is there. I don't know why they would leave the definite article uh, out. He felt as if he was a sinner in a class of his own. He saw himself as the sinner. As far as he was concerned, he was the only sinner that mattered. He was like Paul. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. Because Paul saw his sin in light of the holiness and glory of God. And it was like Paul knew, uh, felt himself to be the biggest sinner in the whole world. Haven't you had times like that? When you have been confronted by your own sin in, in the light of God's glory and his love for you, you realize and you say to yourself, there's never been a bigger sinner that has ever lived on the face of this earth. God, forgive me, the chief of sinners. When you stop comparing yourself to other people, and you start seeing the corruption in your own heart before God, it's easy to think that no one could be as bad or as judgmental or as prayerless as anyone who has ever existed. When we begin drawing close to God, the bright light of His holiness shines into the deep crevices of our lives where we keep our sins neatly tucked away. And when we see those sins in the light of God's holiness... God, be merciful to me, the sinner. We must never feel that we will ever grow past this type of self-condemning condemnation. As redeemed children of God, we are still sinners. We might be enjoying our fellowship with God uh, in, with an unstoppable joy, but then God might open our eyes to see some sin that we have not been, uh, not been bothering to deal with and immediately we are undone. And I want to tell you, that is spiritually healthy. In fact, spiritual progress is made when we sense our own unworthiness because we are spending time in the presence of God. To be humbled and to be broken because of our sin puts us in the path to healthy growth as Christians. It's different than we normally think of the Christian life. 
But this is the biblical idea. God prunes his branches in order to encourage his growth in us, our growth in grace. The gateway to repentance puts us on to the path of growth. But our approach to God, I want to to caution you in asking for mercy, is not the basis for the mercy that God shows to us. When the tax collector cried out for mercy, it wasn't simply his cry for mercy that brought him forgiveness. In fact, um, the, uh, the word for mercy, uh, when the tax, tax collector cried out, be merciful to me, the sinner, the word he used for mercy is unusual. The typical word, uh, the Greek uh, seminarians and uh, pastors in the in the congregation could back me up on this. The typical word for mercy is elao, uh, is the typical word that would be used, but he uses a different word, and the word that he uses for mercy is the word for propitiate. It's the same word in Romans chapter uh, 3, verse 25, when it talks about Christ being the propitiation of our sins. What he is doing here, as he is in the temple at the time of prayer, as they are offering the sacrifices, and he is back in the back of the, of the congregation with his head bowed, uh, crying out to God for mercy, he is asking God to... Um, turn his wrath away from him by covering it with uh, the blood of the sacrifices. The sacrifices in the temples were intended to represent God's wrath being poured out on the animal in the sinner's sinner's place. The blood of the animal covered the altar to satisfy God's justice. The blood was also sprinkled on on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement. The whole process represented the sacrificial atonement that was made by our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Acts says that Christ loved the church and paid for it with his own blood. The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross was inserted between us and the wrath of God do us because of our sins. He took our sins so that he could take the wrath of God in our place. His blood was poured out upon the altar of God's justice. His blood covered the mercy seat in our behalf. And this is what the tax collector was praying for when he cried out for God's mercy. He did not place his trust in the sorrow of his plea, but on God's willingness to make atonement for his sin. And he went home justified. Verse 14, I tell you, this is Jesus talking, summarizing the parable. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Have you been justified by God? Have you sought atonement for your sins? Have you cried out to Christ to cover your sins by his blood? The Pharisee left the temple that day covered in his prideful self-congratulation, and God rejected his prayers. God rejected everything that he had to offer because nothing was sufficient 
Only Christ is sufficient to cover our sins. The Pharisee who thought that his character and his conduct were enough to save him was humbled on the day of judgment. You know, God's going to like me because everybody else likes me. I'm a likable dude. People who say that are in for a rude awakening on the day of judgment. But the poor tax collector, he was changed in the very moment that he received God's mercy. His whole way of life was transformed. Like my parents, he went home loving God and rejoicing in his glory. What about you? Have you been transformed by the glorious grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you resting in your own self-righteousness? Which will humble you tremendously on the day of judgment as we pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you for this parable. We thank you for the clear way in which you divided for us using the contrast of these two men and their very different prayers. You have divided for us self-righteousness and righteousness that comes from you alone by your mercy. Oh Lord, I pray that every person here this morning under the sound of my voice would look to the Lord Jesus for his mercy for it is abundant. He loves to save. We pray in his name. Amen.